Hey everyone, welcome back to This is Steph Sober, the podcast. I'm your host, Steph, an ex-binge drinker who is now a sober lifestyle blogger as well as a wife and mother. I don't know about you, but this time of year has me reflecting, especially on how different my life looks now compared to a year ago. I never would have dreamed I would be doing a sober podcast, yet here we are. I couldn't have done it without my amazing guests, and I decided what a better way to wind down the year than to create a podcast with my favorite moments with each guest that came on the podcast this year. It was so amazing re-listening to each interview and actually really hard to pick a favorite moment because all these guests have such profound things to say. Not to mention, they all hold a special place in my heart and have influenced me in my sobriety in some shape or form. So without further ado, this is the best of the year I got sober. The first guest we had on the podcast in season one, episode five, was Eric Roberts with Eric Roberts Fitness. I was so excited to get him on because not only does he know his shit when it comes to fitness and nutrition, but he's also sober. At only 26 years old, Eric has figured out that alcohol doesn't align with his goals. And he did a podcast all about that, and it had me questioning everything I thought I knew about alcohol. In this clip, Eric talks about rewarding yourself with the same vice that got you wanting to change your life in the first place, as well as how alcohol affects your weight and fitness goals. And I, I tell people sometimes this and sometimes they'll get mad at me, but like, whatever. Um, like what do you... You're rewarding yourself by eating healthy, by what? By having a drink or by having a certain food. It's like, aren't you, like, aren't we all, all of us, not just you listening, but aren't we all supposed to like eat healthy? Like, aren't we all supposed to like feed our body with really good nutrients? Like, aren't we all supposed to exercise? And listen, you can have a reward of like, whatever it is, a spa day or going to get a massage or buying some new clothes or doing whatever it is, but it's like using these vices to reward yourself. It's like, I think you just step back and step back and ask yourself like, is that really a reward to you or is your reward getting closer to your goals and is your reward actually feeling really fucking good and having a lot of energy you know uh, ha- you know not having hangovers things of that nature it's like mm-hmm. that's the reward you really want because the same shit you were doing before got you to a point where you wanted to change anyway so how is it a reward going back to doing the same shit you were doing that caused you to want to make a change in the first place yeah, I mean, here's what I tell people with alcohol and reaching your fitness goals. I mean, it ain't gonna help. I mean, I, there's no, there's no. So here's the thing: when um, when alcohol is present in your system, and, and I'll I'm gonna play both fair sides here in a second. But when alcohol is present in your system, the processes of building muscle, recovering from workouts, burning body fat, those processes stop. Like literally, because like you guys i'm sure you know alcohol is in fact a toxin i always love like the but one red glass of wine a night is healthy i'm like take out the alcohol and maybe but it's like that, that's not no i don't care what random google study you you just read like no um 
But um, but so like you know, when alcohol is present in your system because it's a toxin, your body's not focused. Your primary focus for your body is to keep you alive. It's not to build muscle or lose body fat. It's to keep you alive. So when there's a toxin in your system, your body has to get the toxin out first before it can do any of this other cool shit you want it to do: build muscle, get stronger, lose body fat, all this stuff. Now, again, to play devil's advocate here, that doesn't mean like one drink is gonna like fucking ruin all of your progress. No, because it does come down to overall calories. But there is research to show, you know, if you pass a certain level in your body, yeah, like there is some serious impairment to muscle growth. And that was one of the things too for myself. I was like, I want to get fucking jacked. I'm like, I'm not gonna drink because like I can't get jacked if I get drank. I'm like, screw this. Um, but you know, you the the muscle protein synthesis stops again. The the fat burning aspect of it stops in the short term. And I can have to be very honest. Like if you're in a calorie deficit, yes, you will lose body fat. But like what Steph said on my podcast yesterday, I asked her, I was like, hey, Steph, how many calories do you think you were consuming on those days you were drinking? And like, I don't know if you want to say it, say it right now if you want to, Steph. But like, yeah, it was probably four to 5,000 calories, knowing what? what I know now about calories. What? Yeah, easily. Yeah. She was... And that's where, again, like, so as I tell people, I actually, I wrote an article on this very recently, actually, but like, I always tell people, can you drink alcohol and lose weight and lose body fat? And do yeah, for sure. But like, it's, it is going to make it harder. And again, I tell people like, this game is already hard enough as it is. So it's already hard enough to count your calories, make sure you get your workouts in on days when you don't want to do all these things. It's like, it's eating less calories in and of itself is hard. Why would you want to want to make it harder with you, you having four, five, six hundred, four thousand extra calories coming from alcohol, like it's just only going to make it harder. And, and again, people are like, they, they, whether it's I don't know the right word is complain, but they just talk about how hard it is to lose weight. And I'm like, yes, it's hard, but you are intentionally doing things to make it harder. Like, why would you want to do that to yourself? You want to do things that help you get to where you want to be, right? And so that's kind of the way I, I talk to my clients about alcohol. And again, one drink, whatever, I it, cool, but like not like it's not gonna fucking help you it's just not it's not gonna help you get to where you want to be so that's the you know the the science part of it and also like the you know the the mental side of things as well and like you know i think steph mentioned on my podcast yesterday but kind of talking about like the inhibition for example right it's like cool like you have great intentions of just going out and having two drinks and sticking to your salad and but it's like you get two drinks in the inhibition lowers you're like god damn these fucking chicken wings look good let me just have one all right let me have two of these things like tacos too absolutely why would we not right it's just like it just keeps going because again inevitably your inhibition is going to lower so like that's it just it puts you behind the eight ball that much more. And then again, here's the cool part. As an adult, you can make your own fucking decision. And if you want to make that decision to do that, cool, that's up to you. I'm not doing it because I don't want to make shit harder. I want to make shit easier on me. I don't want to have to, you know, I want to reach my goals as quickly as possible, knowing it's going to take time in between. But I would want to do everything I can to get to those goals, not intentionally pull myself back. Uh, that was such a good episode if you ever just need inspiration um go listen to eric roberts podcast uh just google eric roberts fitness and his podcast will come up it's just that man will get anybody motivated if you couldn't tell just from that short clip all right the next guest is very special to me 
Season one, episode six, we had on my coach, Linda, who may I say, isn't just my fitness and nutrition coach, but also wears the hat of cheerleader, therapist, and friend. My sobriety and fitness go hand in hand, and this woman keeps me on the right path and has given me the map to get to my goals. One of the reasons I decided to start a strength training program is to lessen the aches and pains of getting older. In this clip, Linda explains why alcohol and menopause don't mix, but lifting heavy weights can only help lessen the dreaded symptoms of the change. And you know, menopause is such a, it's such a cruddy time of life from a couple of different ways, right? It can be beautiful in some, once you kind of like gather your thoughts around it, but your kids have left. Your kids are going to college, right? You're kind of like, now you're sitting, I'm like, when my youngest left, my husband and I were sitting there for the first two weeks on the couch, like looking at each other, like, all right, now what? (laughs) Like, what do we do, right? So you're dealing with that. You're dealing with kind of like, a lot of your identity has been wrapped around like child rearing, bringing up the family, you know, having a schedule that was really, really tight and not having that time for yourself. And it's all at the same time, your cortisol levels are spiking, like your sleep is off. All of this stuff is all happening at the same time. And if you add alcohol, if you start putting that, like kind of like, I'm not saying adding fuel to that fire, guess what? you are just going to make all of those symptoms tenfold and then some. So it's like, once you start realizing, well, shit, I can go out there and I can have like knock back two, two bottles of wine and I'm going to feel great for that 10 minutes that I was doing it. Or maybe hopefully it took you longer than 10 minutes, but like, I felt great that night. We had a blast. It was awesome. And then the next morning comes and you're like, I'm, I feel so so, mm, so blah, right? Mm-hmm, so now mm-hmm. your depression is going to kick in. Your emotions are kicking in. Obviously, you know, you slept like crap. So all of this is just heightened in menopause. So just adding that fuel to that fire with alcohol, it's not worth it. Most of the women that have had any kind of struggles around that, they start seeing these patterns and they're like, Linda, I don't want to feel like that when I'm working out because I feel like a badass when I work out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. They're like, they make that decision. I don't make it for them. I, they make that decision, but because I'm leading them down that path to feel like a badass in that gym, feel like you have all of the power in the world in that gym while you're working out and it kind of like walking around your life. Cause even I, you know, you, you ladies both like kick ass working out. Um, mm-hmm. but even after it, like the next day you're like, yeah, that was, good. that was a good session. You feel good about yourself. So, you know, they come to their own kind of like realizations through that because by pushing them in their workouts, that's what happens. The confidence builds, they can see what they can do, they can see what their bodies can do, and alcohol becomes like that. It's like the crutch is being taken away and the the heightened levels are now on your confidence. The heightened levels are now around what you can do when you are clear, when you have that clarity. 
Next is my dear friend, Carly. Carly and I met four years ago when she became my massage therapist, but not only is she an amazing massage therapist, she is also a life coach. She is someone I hold very near and dear to my heart and has been a huge supporter of my sobriety. In season two, episode two, Carly speaks so beautifully about the process of discovering and using your voice. This speaks to your journey over the last, has it been nine months? Yeah. Since your last drink? Yeah. I think like, so when you first start working on those beliefs, it's, it's a lot harder because there are so many more. So your brain has so many more connections that say, I am not safe. I am not safe. It is not safe for me here to speak or to take up space or to disagree with someone. You have so much more evidence in your brain that says that's true. Mm-hmm. And now as you're coming out of drinking and sobering up, you're doing these things like speaking your mind a little bit more, actually getting in touch with, oh, I didn't like how that person said that or I disagree. And when you start to be aware of that first off and then take the action, this is a really big part, take the action into, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with them. You're scared shitless because it hasn't been safe in the past, but you're like shaking and you decide to do it anyways. You cross that threshold into like creating a new reality. Like, oh, I spoke my mind and it, I was, I didn't, I didn't get hurt physically, right? There may have been some tough like sentences or words exchanged, but I stuck with it. They, they weren't like attacking me or something like that. Like you just create more evidence to where it is safe. And I can open up and I can tell people what I actually think. And that those are the things that lead you into fuller expression of intimacy and love and fulfillment. And in a lot of our culture supports this, like, don't rock the boat. Like, don't tell them how you really think. Like, just laugh it off. Like, laugh and nod. But it's the opposite of, like, holding people accountable and acting in love. And I struggle with this deeply um, Mm -hmm. because, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell people what you actually think. Yeah. Put yourself first. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, listening to whatever, what all you just said, it is boundary setting really. Right. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. finally, you know, letting people know this is what I expect. Up next is Kayla. She was on season two, episode four. Kayla was one of the first people I connected with on Sober Instagram. And it doesn't surprise me that she is doing big things for people in recovery. She has such compassion and drive when it comes to helping others who struggle with addiction. And she's currently going to school to get a degree in psychology and an addictions study certificate. One thing that has always amazed me is how she has stayed sober while working in the service industry. And in this clip, she shares what that is like. I started, okay, so 
<laughs> I left my job at the pub. Okay. Not in a very good way. Um, <laughs> it was, I was unhappy for a while. I had, I knew that if I wanted to stick to not drinking, I would have to leave that job. And mm-hmm. I've always been someone that like, I need that fire under my ass lit for me. And, you know, so I wasn't happy for a while. And there's one night I was absolutely hammered after being at the fair all night. And there was a slap, there was a, te- a chair tossed, there is, I stormed out. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Not my proudest moment, but mm-hmm. that was the catalyst for me to like actually get sober. So that happened the the last day of August, I think that happened. And I had tried a couple times to stop drinking when I was there, but when I was in the atmosphere of like, you know, talking to regulars and then be like, Oh, ha ha ha. Like you'll be drinking again in a month. Like Mm -hmm. didn't take me seriously. Like someone actually said your sobriety doesn't count because you're under a year. When I said it had been like six weeks at that time. And I was like, no, I'm sober now. He's like, Oh, it doesn't count until it's at least a year. I was like, Hey, That's guess a- who's waiting extra long for their next beer now? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that was the environment that I was in that made it impossible for me to stop. Yeah. So after I that incident happened, when I woke up in the morning, like I expected to be just like that overwhelming feeling of dread, you know, like that shame over, mm-hmm. like that horrible, like, oh, God, what did I do? I don't have a job now. When I woke up, I felt like I could breathe. I knew that wow. I'm like, okay, that that's it. That chapter is closed. Where are we going from here now? What are we, how are we going to do this now? So I took two weeks off. I printed out some resumes. I handed out one to a restaurant in town that I wanted to work at because it's a little more higher end, farm to table, kind of like local. Okay. Thing. And so I've been there ever since and I love it. And it's, I don't, often have to deal with people that are drunk <laughs> yeah it's more of a celebratory vibe there you know that's been good working in the industry doesn't feel exactly aligned for me anymore though mm-hmm. because like the server in me wants people to buy like another bottle of wine get another round of drinks because right. my sales are higher and that makes my tips higher but like the sober person in me is like well, you've already had two like are you sure uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I was, yeah, I definitely was curious about that because I can imagine, like, here you're torn. You've got the side of you that's like, alcohol's paying the bills because, yeah, yeah if, if they drink more, they're going to tip me more. But then alcohol destroyed my life, and I don't want to see it, you know, push it on other people to destroy their life. Like, I could totally see where this inner di- or like this inner struggle would be. So I was curious how that works out for you. And it's, and it's just like overhearing things like, oh, this person's fine. Like they can handle their alcohol. And like me now knowing like having a high tolerance for alcohol is a red flag that you have problematic mm-hmm. drinking habits because your right. body shouldn't be able to tolerate having six cocktails that are yeah. between two or three ounces. <laughs> it's not a good thing. It's not something that like, yeah, you want to wear as a badge. Like, hey. Yeah, yeah that's- for sure. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a challenge in that sense, but it's also been really amazing because, you know, like I have served a woman that was celebrating her six years sober. I have served a couple, one's a lawyer and one's a counselor, and they both work with people experiencing addiction. Um, I've served psychiatric nurses. Like the moment I decided I wanted to go back to school and 
do um, get my degree doing psychology and then my addiction studies certificate. It's like the universe put these people at these mm-hmm. tables in my section. Mm-hmm. The conversation would just naturally come up too. It's not sure. being like, "Hey, I'm super. How's your day going?" <laughs> it would just it would just come up naturally. So yeah. it's been positive in that sense. My next guest, most of you are probably very familiar with. I call her the Queen of Reels but you might know her by her Instagram handle, Walking the Straight Line. In season two, episode five, I had the lovely Kate Taylor on for a candid chat about all things sober. This woman is a huge advocate for the sober movement, and I really enjoyed our chat about handling emotions and fear now that we are sober. Have a listen. The world is is a strange place, isn't it? Um, Which is even more reason to navigate it sober because it could be quite scary. Um, And actually, do you know what? That's something I wasn't expecting is that, you know, you think when you stop drinking, you'll literally just stop drinking and the hangovers and and whatever, and you might lose a bit of weight. But it it isn't. It's everything. Like, even when I read the news and it – it used to really scare me and I would get really nervous about, oh gosh, you know, my kids are going to get stabbed or I'm going to get cancer or this is going to happen. The fear would build up and build up. Even that is so much more tame now because everything, I I can look at it with a more logical head and go, this it's on the news because it's out of the ordinary. They don't talk about everything that's just normal that's going on and and I can really step back and manage my emotions and you know I'm someone who really believes that all emotions are important um, and they're all there for a reason and they're all there to protect you and they're warning signs and actually to say I never want to be sad or angry or scared is, is ridiculous because you're you feel those things to protect you so I like feeling feelings but actually alcohol makes the, the ones that you don't necessarily think are the better ones, it, they make them so much worse unnecessarily. And that has completely gone. And now when I do feel nervous or scared, I can see the reason why, because it's not because of alcohol and this drug that's been in my system that's, that's tricking me. Right. It's a genuine feeling. And I find that really exciting because I'm learning about myself mm-hmm. and and I can go, oh, a bit of self-analysis, you know. Why am I thinking that? Maybe that's not a good thing. And actually, no, every time I see that person, I feel like that. And, and that, that's a really exciting part of being sober that I never imagined would have anything to do with it. Um, it's just a gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? It's- it is. On that note, I um, when I was on my, two, well, my 200th day, I got a tattoo on my oh. arm that says feel it all oh because again. of because of that because it was one of the things that I realized one of the major things that pushed me to get sober was my anxiety my anxiety was so bad I almost just didn't even want to leave the house anymore and um I finally connected the dots back to alcohol kind of yeah. noticed it was worse after I would drink heavy mm-hmm. and I also knew that I it wasn't probably a good idea to drink all the time, but it was the only thing that kept me from being anxious. So I was like, I connected the dots, Googled it, whatever. Um, But yeah, so what I know about anxiety is anxiety can come about from suppressing 
emotions and then your body has to release them. And then you've got alcohol on top of it that just when you're coming down from it, you get a boost of adrenaline. And so that added to it. And so that has been my like my little post-it note on my arm. Anytime something comes up, I have to make myself feel it because once, I mean, even with alcohol, yeah, you got rid of the pain, but you also got rid of the joy. You have to have both to feel both. And, you know, it does go through the body a lot quicker when you sit with it and yeah, identify it and, and, and just work through it. It's actually, like you said, it's beautiful. I mean, we're human. It's part of yeah. being human. We can't get away. We can't get around it. Like we all are going to have to feel hard things. Like it just is part yeah. of life. But actually they're always there anyway. And, and people who drink, you know, I drank because I needed to silence my brain. I, I didn't drink because I it gave me confidence. I've always been a confident right. person. I didn't drink because I felt like I had anxiety. Although I think now I've stopped. I'm, as I said, I'm noticing, mm-hmm. gosh, I'm so much more comfortable in it yeah. and everything. But I drank because I wanted to get drunk. I loved the feeling. I loved the kind of numbness. So I didn't like all the other bits, but, you know, and, and actually all those feelings that I didn't want to feel, I think I'll drink. And what did I think? They're going away. Of course they're not. They're festering and they're getting in there with all the other negative feelings that I've hid away on Monday or last Wednesday or months ago. And they're all in there and then they're getting more and more overwhelming. So you drink more and more and you think, no, I really won't have to deal with any of them. And it's, you can see how people get into that vicious circle of not, being able to face it and you know I have friends who have had real trauma I mean I I feel like I have been quite lucky and that nothing really awful has happened to me yeah. but when I was talking to Dave he went well we've been chatting and there's a few things in there that I would say they are quite traumatic and I'm like <laughs> oh yeah but you know and then they think well I'll have to face it and it's like you don't realize you're already facing it you're battling it every day yeah and it's more, it's worse. So actually when you stop, you know, and I am not a therapist and, and I don't know any, I don't understand any of that. All I can do is say what I've experienced. And I've never met anyone who has said, oh, since I gave up drinking and had to face up to my feelings, it's been awful. I wish I was drinking again. No one's ever said that. So we've got to listen, don't we? We've got to learn from that and, and say, well, the liveliness is then that, it is better because you can't hide things. In season two, episode six, Mary was my guest, and I was so inspired by our conversation. Mary is a fitness and nutrition coach whom I met through Eric Roberts and my coach, Linda. Mary is two years sober, and like me, she feels fitness and sobriety go hand in hand. She's very passionate about helping women find their confidence and believes alcohol robs us of our power. Take a listen. That's what I want. Like I always say, I want the next generation, like the kids now to like look at alcohol, kind of how we look at like smoking, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't smoke. Like it's bad. Like I I wish there was a way to to move it along further and make that the way because you know, I would want that for my nieces and nephews just to not mm-hmm. live in a world where it's so normalized just mm-hmm. to get drunk and to drink at social events, especially for women. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a whole different topic for me, just how it's marketed towards women. And it really does take our power away in so many ways. And 
we already struggle for power in the world and just alcohol just diminishes it even more by not letting us be our best selves. And if we could just do anything for women's rights, I want to tell women like stop drinking, like yes. we take over the world then <laughs> like we really could, which is what the world needs in my opinion. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I feel that's yeah. where we're at at this point mm-hmm. because yeah, I mean, think about how vulnerable it makes you to be a mm-hmm. woman who gets blackout drunk and oh. the the things that it does for your safety mm-hmm. um, on top of the fact that it just numbs your brain and yep. it takes away so much of your confidence, your creativity. I, I have so much creativity and so many ideas that there's days I just, I, I can't even keep up with myself. And to go from like, just totally like brain, like all I, when I was a drinker, all I needed to do was get through the day and get my daughter to school and get her picked up and like get the house in order and then make it through dinner. And then I could just sit down and have that wine. And it's like, it's like, you're a prisoner to it. And there's so many women that do that and wear it as a badge. And they're so proud of like the mommy wine culture. And they think that's what it's, what it's all about. And it's like, Oh, we have so many intelligent women that we could tap into if they could just, you know. Yeah, there really is put so it much down. more. Mm-hmm. Like I felt, I feel like I spent, you know, 15 years of my adult life just in the same place because of alcohol, just mm-hmm. not moving forward in any way. Because like you said, that was kind of the end goal of every day, you know, to get through all your your chores, get through the obligations so that you could have that drink so that you could relax and have it when really, if it's not there, it just opens up so many possibilities for your day and your, your time and your money. Like you said, money is unbelievable. (laughs) Like I, since I just, I don't struggle with money at all anymore because I'm just, I'm making better decisions. You know, there Amazon's on your phone. And if you've had a few drinks, oh, yeah. you might look the next morning and be like, what the hell did I buy? <laughs> like, so, you know, you only return so much of it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely made a big difference with that too. It just opens up so many opportunities. It does. And, yeah. and I see so many people talk about finding like their passions and things. I just remember always thinking and being jealous of people who found their passion and found like their vocation or, or just really loved life. Mm -hmm. And looking back now, those people weren't drinking, you know, like when you really think about it and you like dig into who they were, drinking was not part of their identity. And I never saw it that way at the time, but I do now. But now that I removed the alcohol, like I am finding what I really love. Like there was a time though, I would sit and just be like, I don't know what I like to do. You know, people are like, find what you love and make a career of it. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? I mean, (laughs) no idea what they mean. I know. (laughs) I like to drink wine. What do I do with that? You know, it was like, that was all I knew. And now it's like, Oh, I get it now. Like all this stuff makes sense. So you're so right. Like you just think about all the women that we could we could uh, tap into and and they could create things and be powerful leaders that we need. And yeah, that's really what I'm trying to do. Like I really in coaching and just in my passion for fitness, I have found it and I, I want other people to see that they can too. Like it's never too late. Uh, it is possible to change and 
really just focus on you and just live your best life, as they say, you know, just do your very best. And so that's what I've been trying to do. And I'm just so glad I found my passion because like you said, I never even knew what people meant when they would say that. I just no concept of what that would feel like Mm -hmm. at all until you're able to really find yourself and get to know yourself. That's when it happens. And alcohol definitely stands in the way of that. Mm -hmm. I think for anyone. And I think it also stands in the way of empowering others because I am, when you're confident with yourself, especially as a woman, you also then want, like you said, you want other women to feel what you're feeling and you want to lift them up and you want them to be confident too. Mm -hmm. And when alcohol was involved, my self-confidence was so low. There was a lot of jealousy in women that had their shit together. And there was a lot of judgment against them. Oh, they don't drink or, oh, whatever it may be. And it was really a negative place to be in mentally. And it's a place that I think as a society, we need to get out of that. Like we need to be as women, we need to quit being jealous and like envious. And we need to start building each other up because we are super strong. Yeah. Yeah. Together stronger and just supporting each other and, you know, really realizing that. And I would think the same thing, like, well, she has all of her shit together and she doesn't drink like kind of like a must be judging me, but really when you're just judging yourself in that Mm -hmm. situation, it's, it's nothing to do with the other person. And honestly, I can say all I want is for other women to succeed and just feel good and, you know, be happy and build themselves up. In episode seven of season two, I got a ton of feedback This episode featured Ev, a woman whom I met through Kayla. Ev's story starts with her battle with an eating disorder that then transitioned into alcoholism. I put together clips of her story, but I highly recommend if you haven't already listened to the whole episode to do so. Her story resonated with so many, and I want to just thank Ev again for her bravery and sharing her story so others don't feel alone. It transitioned into, I discovered a glass of wine helped me numb out. And it started off so innocently. I remember I remember saying to myself, um, I think I told my counselor as well at the time, I said, I'm just, you know, thank God I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm just dealing with this eating disorder stuff because if I was an alcoholic, like I would just be a mess because I thought it was such a mess with the bulimia. And it's like, huh, never say never, you know? Right. So, so I, um, you know, it started off drinking a glass of wine with dinner and thinking that was so sophisticated. I was an adult now and, you know, and, but the behavior around that, was, if I'm completely honest, alcoholic behavior. I wanted to drink because like, it would take me to this magical place of numbing out and, you know, any self-critical thoughts and all of that would would disappear because I'd be drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that, you know, they, they say it's progressive and fatal and 
in my experience, definitely progressive. Wasn't right away. I actually came into recovery when I was 25 years old. And I'm going to be 40 next week. I think this podcast will air on my yeah. <laughs> so everyone so, listening right now, which actually your birthday as they listen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, it's taken all these years for me to come into a place where I feel, um, I feel open, and I have the willingness to do whatever it takes to stay sober. Because the reality is, like, I've done enough research. My story includes so many relapses and really dark times. And, uh, you know, when you're done, you're done. And thank you for sharing that because that is, I'm sure there's so many people where one thing can lead to another. Especially, yeah, when you're just, you think you've gotten over something else, but really you just switched like swapped it out and is that kind of what happened then for you hundred percent hundred percent and you know I say this not to in any way speak ill of the counselor I had at the time mm-hmm. because I at, before then I had not displayed any signs of alcoholism I mean I, I didn't drink right so right. I remember she suggested to me, going for a nice meal, say with my mom or with my boyfriend at the time and having a glass of wine and enjoying every sip and enjoying the taste and just enjoying the meal and letting it settle. And I mean, ideally, yes, this is how normal people live. Um, But for an alcoholic, no, for me, it's 100% abstinence and I can't, I can't go there. And, And that's kind of, that's, um, a vision of that is something that I have ch- had chased for so many years, thinking I could be that person, you know, the classy girl sitting at the table, looking great, smiling, being social, and just mm-hmm. having a glass of wine or two and la la la. Um, no, <laughs> no, no. The reality is that when I have relapsed and gone, you know, gone to that dark place again, I isolate. I shut myself away from the world. It's not a social thing. And everything, all the good things that sobriety gives me, I lose fast, you know? Mm-hmm. My, you know, physical things like, you know, um, financially, jobs, all of these things, um, my self-esteem, all of it goes out the window. So it's just not worth it. That vision has to be smashed in my mind, like totally abolished. The last time I spoke with my doctor, because I'm completely open with her about my recovery. She knows everything. I mean, they sent all the reports to her from the emergency when I went in. How could she not be? (laughs) Um, She was like, Ev, she was straight up with me, which I really appreciate it's like the hospital is like this revolving door for you. You go in, you're you're sick, they fix you up, you get out, you're okay for a while, you relapse, you're sick, you go to the hospital and it's repeat, repeat. How are we going to break the cycle? And when she, she was that direct with me, it really resonated. And I was like, I know how to get sober. I need to learn how to stay sober. You know? Mm-hmm. 
and doing whatever it takes. There's a saying in, you know, in my 12 step program where you only need to change one thing when you choose recovery and that's everything. <laughs> and I don't know if you the truth, that, right? <laughs> I mean, people, places, things, and it sounded so overwhelming for me when I first came into the program, like, I'm going to have to change everything in my life. But the reality is, I'm, I'm so much happier letting go of the rubbish that I was carrying around, including people that I was carrying around yeah. in my world, you know? My final guest this year was James. He came on season two, episode eight, and has become a dear, supportive friend ever since. This man is lucky to be alive. He was drinking up to 300 units of alcohol per week and ended up nearly dead in the hospital. He is now three years sober, and I asked him in our interview how he did it. This is what he had to say. Um, I did nothing. I did my own thing. Okay. I had no support groups, nothing. I read books mm-hmm. and I read more books and I read books. And now I've got a library. And I changed my mindset through reading and learning other people's stories. No, none of them were anything to do with alcohol. It's all mindset based, a lot of the mm-hmm. military. Um, and I applied a high level of resilience and I didn't give myself an excuse so I I'm quite I mean some people don't like my opinions and I one of my famous taglines is if you don't give yourself an excuse you can't possibly fail because drinking is a choice this is another one that few people don't like it is a choice even as an alcoholic you choose to have that beverage if for it not to be a choice would be for somebody to put a gun to your head and say, drink that. As long as you are putting it in your, in, without that, on your own, it's a choice. It's a very difficult one because you're an addict, but it's still a choice. You've got to choose not to do it. So you, you need to know your why very strongly. Why am I stopping? And that why needs to be a reason for you, not for your family or your kids or your cousins or your grandmother or your friends, because I gave up hundreds of times in the past, gave up an in inverted commas um, for partners. And I was always like, or family, and I was always like in my head going, okay, well, they wanted me to take two months off, so I'll do that, and then I can go back to it. Or, okay, I'll do it to the partner, and then I've got my secret stash of vodka in 16 different places in the, in the, in the garden. Um, but it's got to be for you. Everybody else is a byproduct. So you give up for you, but your kids and your husband, your partner, et cetera, will benefit from it. And then you've got to apply resilience and not give yourself an excuse. Um, and resilience is not something addicts have. And it, again, it sounds easy, but it actually is easy. Giving up anything is hard, but it's not complicated. And if you try and overcomplicate, it gets overwhelming. There's just a few things. Your why, your resilience, your mindset is huge. Um, And then dig in. I mean, when you get cravings, when I got cravings in the early days, and I don't get cravings anymore and haven't for a long time, I just, 
I didn't know it was a, a basic form of CB, CBD, C, no, CBT, CBD oil. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> you get a, you get a, I had a phrase, I don't know what it was. It's something like, I don't drink, I don't need drink, something like that. And I repeated it hundreds, if not thousands of times without stopping through that entire frame. So I literally blocked out every other thought, nothing, white noise. And I got to the end of it. And it could have been, I like Tonka toys. Or I watch MTV on weekends. I, I don't think it actually matters what the phrase was. It's just the fact you're just repeating something over and over again really fast until the craving's gone. So you're not worrying about the craving because as soon as you start worrying about the craving, then you get into your own head. And then before you know it, you could well be caving and having that drink, right? Right. I was blocking that out. So that, again, was a big one for me. But it was only about four or five things that I was doing um, and not giving myself an excuse mm -hmm. and saying, no, you're not going back to that. You've always given up before on giving up. You're not. Mm -hmm. That life was shit. This life will be great. Let's do it. Yeah. And I've done it. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it. I want to thank all my guests who came on and shared their stories. In doing so, you have helped so many feel seen and less alone in their own sobriety. You've also probably helped countless people who were sober curious decide that the sober lifestyle was something that they were ready to take on. I also want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in and reaching out to me when you relate to something. I love getting that feedback and I love being in a space where you feel you can connect and that you feel understood. Next week, I will be hitting my one year sober anniversary and I have a very special episode for the occasion. You don't want to miss it. Bye for now.